Please again to your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. The verse number 1 of this passage tells us, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Let's please by together, let's seek the Lord's face. How we need the Lord today. We want to make sure that we're in the house of God with a desire to hear from the Lord, to benefit from the word. Let's call upon the Lord again together. Eternal God and Father, it is an incredible thing that the God who made this world would speak to us in his word. Oh Lord, that you would so purpose that your people would know and discern your will, that you would work in such grace by the Spirit of God inspiring prophets and apostles to pen the words that we have before us now. O Lord, you are a God of grace. We thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your grace in the Scriptures. Help us, O Lord, to consider them carefully today, and that we understand them, and that we discern the word afresh. Grant grace to every hearer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, it came to pass after many days. It caused me to ask myself the question in studying this again, well, where are we really here in terms of Bible history? And you've got to put yourself in the right situation. What's happening in these days? If you understand that, then, as I often say, it will help us understand what the message is to us from this passage. Well, you will know by now that Ahab has led the people into deepening apostasy and compromise. He's a king worse than those who came before him. So that in verse number 21 in our passage, the people are said to halt between two opinions. They are guilty of denying the true Lord God by giving credence to these false gods. There is this syncretism perhaps, or perhaps there's just confusion and compromise between the true God and Baal. We'll see more of that verse in coming studies. What is clear and plain is that all is not well in the religious life of the people of God. And that's an understatement. Things are very, very critical and very, very serious. Elijah in future chapters will feel that he's all alone. And he's encouraged. There's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. But it's worth noting, it's only 7,000 widespread compromise across the nation. And yet, in the midst of such compromise, God is still active. He's active in judging his people as he promised to do, and in keeping and preserving his word. He withholds the rain. That's an act of God. It's always an act of God. He is the one who sovereignly withholds the rain. He is the one who is still active in preserving his word. Actually, at this point, literally preserving the life of his prophet. 
not being a picture of him preserving his word in those days. Also, in all of this, God is still active in upholding a remnant according to grace. All is not lost, although it may look that way. I think there are some very obvious parallels with our own time. I will not ever cease reminding you of this. The USA is not Israel, and Israel is not the USA. Never, please, interpret Old Testament history in the presumption that America is the same as Israel. That is very dangerous hermeneutically in terms of interpreting the word of the Lord. However, there are clear parallels. And the parallels are in themselves instructive to our hearts. We certainly also live among a people who have paid lip service to true religion, but by and large are now given their lives to serve mammon. Rich or poor alike, people's life's energy is expended on how to pursue wealth, and God is very much on the sideline. He may not be removed altogether from their lives, but he is certainly not the core. He is not the reason for their existence. They're not living to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yet, God is still at work. Now here, we've got to be careful. The Bible is the inspired word of God, and we can clearly see God working in certain ways. When we look at our own times, we believe that God is working, and yet we should be careful as to how we determine what he's doing in certain circumstances. We may have ideas, he may be doing this, he may be doing that, but what we do know is he's doing something. He is not inactive. God has not taken his hands off this world because he will never, ever take his hands off his church. And because of Christ's blood and the security of the church, that means that God is active even today because we're here. Isn't that amazing? The fact that you're here as a child of God today means that God is working in this world, governing all things. That's that's not a man-centered approach to life. That's not my point. God works all things for his glory. But you're part of that. Your final redemption is part of God's glory. And therefore we have the confidence that God is still working. He's still preserving his word. He's still preserving a kingdom remnant. Those who are truly seeking the kingdom of God. And so there are, there are these parallels. So as we look at this passage today, there really are three things that we can say by way of commentary. We live among people who are stubbornly rejecting God's word. And in such a climate, there is a remnant, according to grace, who are faithfully living in the midst of such compromise. Thirdly, the church in its ministry must determine to be subject to God's word. These are three things that we see by way of commentary. And I think the chapter gives us insight into those three areas in the characters that are mentioned. This is one of these linking sections in the Bible. There are sometimes stories that go from one point to another point, and you think, well, well, what's the, the thrust of the application here? Well, it's not always easy. But I think we can helpfully see in these three characters illustrations of those three particular concepts. 
we live among people who live like Ahab. They are those who stubbornly reject the word of God. And yet, whilst there is such a climate, we understand that there are Obadiahs. They are those who are faithfully serving God in the midst of such compromise. And above and beyond all that, you have the Elijah, who I think represents God's public ministry. And he is one who's governed by the word of the Lord. And so that's where I'm trying to get your minds to go today. These three separate areas, what's it look like in days of Ahab? Well, Elijah, perhaps picturing the church, Obadiah showing us some lessons regarding the remnant, and then also Ahab, again, a vivid illustration of those who are stubbornly rejecting the word of God. So let's look at these in reverse order. Let's begin with Elijah and see Elijah as one who is submissive to the word of the Lord. And surely in this, he is an example to the church today. We are not surprised when you get to chapter 18, verse 1, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Already in chapter 17, we've seen the word of the Lord coming to him before. Verse 2 of chapter 17, and also verse 8 of chapter 17, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And what is also remarkable is that when the word of God comes, Elijah obeys. He is not succumbing to the temptation to compromise and submit to Baal. He is a man who lives under the word of God. He's submissive to the word of the Lord. And so as we look at this in some more detail, please note, first of all, the coming of the word. We're given a time stamp here. Verse 1, it came to pass after many days in the third year. You see the time references there? When does the word of God come? Many days in the third year. What's that referring to? Well, it's likely referring to the days after Elijah has hid from Ahab. You see, we're told in the New Testament that the total time of the drought was three and a half years. Luke 4, verse 25, heaven was shut up three years and six months. Or James 5, 17, it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. It's the third year. Pink, and by the way, Pink's work on Elijah is just precious and devotional benefit. But he makes the point at this point in his commentary, he says, don't miss the point of days. It's not my thrust, it's not my thrust this morning, this afternoon, in terms of the message, but he makes the point that we should understand that we should count our life in days and not so much in years. The young people, I get the math, not easy. Three, six, five, a leap year every four years. It gets challenging to count your life in days. That's not so much the point of mathematics. It is the point of spiritual application. I wonder how many of you young people presume of tomorrow. You woke up this morning. Oh, look. I'm awake again. And it will be tomorrow. And the next day and the next day. And let's be honest, there are those of us in our middle age and we have the same presumption. We presume that we have another 20, 30, 40 years to live upon this earth. And we have forgotten what it is to number our days. Man 
that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble, Job 14.1. Few days. Please, number your days. May God help us to number our days that we apply our hearts to wisdom. But having said that, we have these days, these many days of the third year, and these have been years of preparation, time, days of preparation. I think God has been preparing Elijah's heart. He's been shown in the past, uh, past number of years in the vision at Cherith and then also at the widow's home that God will provide for him. But also please note verse 24, the word of the woman was to Elijah. Did you notice that last time? Elijah knows this. But she says to him, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. It's like this adrenaline rush of encouragement. God has so blessed Elijah's ministry, he's about to go where? He's about to go to Ahab. He better know for a certainty he's God's man with God's truth. And he does. And he has a testament of this woman and the rising of her son. God is preparing his servant for what comes next. He's also preserving the, uh, preparing the people. Yeah, verse number 2. After this, Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. There's a connection here. The Word of God connects Elijah's going to Ahab with the severity of the famine. Again, that's not inconsequential. You see, before chapter 17, verse 1, remember 17, verse 1, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Before that, the people, humanly speaking, would, have not, would not have received the truth regarding Baal. Remember Baal? He's their small g god of prosperity. All's going well. Success is coming. People say, well, Baal's doing this. Well, yeah, I get that. No, it's quite obvious, isn't it? We're doing so well and prosperity is coming. But now famine is severe. How severe? Well, we see in verse number five that Ahab says to Obadiah, go to the land, all fountains of water, all brooks, peradventure we may find grass. That's how severe the famine and the drought is. God is preparing the way for Mount Carmel and for the conflict with the promise of Baal that people will be ready to see that Baal is false. I think it's, again, worth noting that God may permit people to wallow in the mud of Baal worship for a time. Allowing people to descend further and further into the confusion of falsehood. And the consequence of that falsehood. We wonder, God, what are you doing right now? The last ten years has seen such a cataclysmic decline in religious thought and morality. Surely, O oh Lord, you can arrest this. But it may well be the case that God will allow the confusion to continue to such a point that it will be very, very apparent when the time comes. This is all madness. 
and we'll see the end of it all and the breakdown, perhaps even of society itself. And we'll see the confusion as marriage is torn asunder and life is cheap. And we'll get to the point where the people have to say that Baalism was madness. I don't know. But God did it here. Three and a half years of allowing things to decline and decline and decline, and Baal had no answer. And dear people, the false gods of this nation have no answer and will never have the answer. And as these years continue, what is God doing? He's preserving his word. He's preserving his prophet. He's preserving his church. And he's preserving his church for just the time when things are needed and the church can rise up and say, this is the word of God's. And so we are those who must, by God's grace, though things decline, we must be those who preserve our hearts of submission to the word of God. That we don't buy the need to be a compromise, but we are ready and waiting that when their ears are opened, we are the ones who can say, this is truth. This is the way. Walk ye in it. The coming of the word. God is at work in the background of all of these things. No, secondly, the content of the word. Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. I'm certainly glad that there comes with this command a word of comfort. See, so think of the challenge of obeying God's word here. You want to get some idea of what Ahab thinks of Elijah? Listen to the words of Obadiah. Verse 9. What have I? Sorry, the, the, the verse. I've lost it. Verse number 10. As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord have not sent to, sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. Ahab has had enough of Elijah. And yet God says to Elijah, time to go. Time to go and show yourself unto Ahab. The righteous are as bold as a lion by the grace and the power of God. But with that challenge comes this wonderful promise, and I will send rain upon the earth. This is one of the marks of God's grace. When he gives commands, he brings a promise alongside the command. It's, all, it's, it's often the case throughout the whole scriptures. We find it time and time again when God presents us or presents us people with a difficult circumstance, he brings a word of promise to encourage them. He knows our frame. The command's enough. Go would be enough. But he brings along with that command this word of comfort and assurance. The promise that then moves Elijah to pray. We'll come back to this in future studies. We look at verse number 42 just when you're there. You see, verse 41 of our chapter, Elijah says to Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there's a sign of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, listen, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. James gives us the commentary of that. James 5, 18, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. 
Oh, the promise of God that leads to prayer. That same promise that leads to prayer is the promise of God that leads to obedience. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel. Deliver to the kingdoms a word of God as judge, of man as sinners, as hell as being real. Bring that word to those who despise you and reject you. Bring that word to the world. And lo, I am with you. And I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. With the command comes a promise. The command seems impossible. Go and I'll send my spirit upon you. With the command comes a promise that then moves us to obedience. And also to prayer. The content of the word. And thirdly, in the compliance with the word. Verse 2, And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. Compliance that is immediate and that is complete. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Psalm 119, verse, verse 60. Now what I'm suggesting to you today is that Elijah is an example to the church in times of compromise. When the world is following Baal, and the professed people of God are living in compromise and apostasy, we must remind ourselves of being people of the Word. The Word that tells him to go and communicate God's truth in the world. We do. We, we, we as a church are meant to pray for such a spirit. Thy will be done. And the Catechism tells us in answering what that prayer means, it is that we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. That's the prayer. Do you pray the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done. You are praying for God to give you the grace to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things. Again, it's yet another text that puts a dagger in the heart of any antinomian tendency. A tendency that we're saved by grace, therefore there's no obligation to live according to God's word. That is false thinking. We're to pray, thy will be done, not only by others, but by ourselves. We as the church in days of compromise must be people who live under the word difficult times. You see, in compromising days, there's always going to be a temptation to join in the compromise. Got to be careful. Again, I'm not making common, well, I'm making some commentary here, but there are some difficult circumstances. I heard just in the last few days, the concept, the idea, well, if we have an outright ban on abortion, that will not carry any votes. So therefore, let's just allow some abortions. Just, just a few. Because it's better to have lesser than have all that we're having right now. Now, politically, I understand that idea. And, and certainly in a pragmatic understanding, you get this idea. Well, yes, we don't want a million, so let's just satisfy ourselves with, with only 300,000. 
300,000 murders. We're fine with that. I understand how difficult a thing it may be to see things move politically. But we are not political in this church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And one abortion is one too many. You see the point? We're not a political party. We're here to be under the word of God. No matter how unpopular that may be, we're submissive to God's word. Well, you can't control the drug problem. Out of control. Let's legalize it and make it safe. You see, again, the issue here, you, you begin to see the climate of the world, and then we begin to compromise with it. We compromise in our use of language. People speak this way all around us. They're just coarse language. That in the past would have made the church members a blush. But now we're just so conditioned by it in, in social media and entertainment, we, we presume it must be okay. Standards of modest address, both for men and women. The world dresses like this, therefore it's not such a big idea. You see how, how easy it is to, to move outside from submission to the word of God in days of compromise? It's not about legalism. It's not a legalistic agenda. It's thy will be done. May God's word control my speech, my dress, my actions. You know one of the most challenging things in the present day? is the increasing concept that godly character is not important. In all manner of spheres, in the business world, in education, in politics, character doesn't matter. Performance is what matters. If that's what they want to think out there, not in here. Not in here. When you begin to say character doesn't matter, you're speaking out two sides of your mouth because you're praying, thy will be done. And the other side of your mouth is saying, thy will doesn't really matter. You see how challenging this is? We are the church of Christ. We are the people of God. And God's word will govern our thinking in all these areas. Won't it? Or will we be people who halt between two opinions? Ahab. Beal worship is turning people's hearts away from the word of God. Elijah stands out as being different. He is clear. He listens to, he learns from, and he lives by the word of God. May God be pleased to help us to follow his pathway. But secondly, we see the service of Obadiah. The submission of Elijah to the word of God and the service of Obadiah as a child of God. Obadiah is such a challenging character to decipher. Now, I plan next Lord's Day, really in light of the baptism, in part in light of the baptism, uh, to preach a full sermon on Obadiah based upon the words of verse number 12, I thy servant fear the Lord from my youth. That's a great text to preach in the morning for a baptismal service. So we'll come back to Obadiah in more detail next Lord's Day in the Lord's will. But the main point is this. God has his man in the right place. Again, people go in different directions regarding Obadiah. Is he a carnal compromiser? In verse number three, Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. And they say, well, 
well, if Obadiah is going to be a governor in Ahab's house, he must be a carnal compromiser. No way he can be faithful to God and find himself advancing in the realm of Obadiah. That is the language of utter unbelief. God is more than able to exalt an Obadiah in positions of great influence without them compromising one iota from convictions regarding the word of God. The testament of God's word is clear. You've got it there in verse number three. Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And if you want to know how great is greatly, the same word is used regarding the flood. Genesis 7 verse 18, and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. It's quite a big greatly. And Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. God has his man in the right place. It's a lesson that God is able to raise people to influence. Elijah is God's man in the religious realm, and Obadiah is God's man in the political realm. Now, we, we look at him and we see certainly one who is working in an ungodly regime, but surely we see him as one obeying God. When it came to a choice between God and man, the testament of Scripture is clear that Obadiah chose God and not man. We'll see more of that next time. Obadiah did not establish the adult's regime. There's no evidence of him compromising principle in his rule. He finds himself working in it by God's grace. He is another Daniel, another Joseph, and God has placed them there. Pink says this, There is nothing wrong in a child of God holding a position of influence if he can do so without the sacrifice of principle. And indeed, it may enable him to render valuable service to the cause of God. Where would Luther and the Reformation have been, humanly speaking, had it not been for the elector of Saxony? And what would have been the fate of our own Wycliffe if John of Gaunt had not constituted him his ward? All I'm saying is that in Obadiah's testimony here, we have no record of compromise. He seems to have served God faithfully. And as such, he is, I believe, an example and a picture of God preserving his remnant and putting his people in the right place at the right time to do his will. So when you get the verse number 16, it says this, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. What's that saying? God used Ahab. Or sorry, God used Obadiah. Why? Well, let me give you two suggestions. God was pleased to use his faithful remnant as Obadiah because the Lord knew him to be reliable. He had a task to do, a difficult task. He understood his life was in danger. And yet God had given him a task to do because he knew Obadiah to be reliable. He had shown himself to be faithful. That's a principle in the Word of God, isn't it? You show yourself faithful and little, you're given more tasks to accomplish. It's a good view of church life. Be faithful where God has placed you. But be faithful in what God has asked you to do. 
And then God will please, God will be pleased to use you in other ways. But I think the second reason, this is precious. I believe that God used Obadiah, and again, granted, this is speculation. If you disagree with this, we won't fall out about it. I'm giving you a suggestion and an idea. I think that in part, God is pleased to use Obadiah as a means of encouraging Obadiah himself. Obadiah is fearing the Lord greatly. He has seen firsthand the wrath of Jezebel. He understands. Where's Elijah gone? He's, he's no secret revelation that Elijah is safe somewhere. Elijah came, Elijah went, prophets are dying. Where's Elijah? And as Ahab goes one way, Obadiah goes the other way, and Obadiah walks straight into Elijah. Oh, if you like, there you are. It's a remarkable instant of God being pleased to encourage his remnant. Dear child of God, God does not need you. God did not need Obadiah to go to Ahab. He chose that Obadiah would go to Ahab. Obadiah is another Esther. He's raised up for such a time as this. And you, dear child of God, are raised up by God in your place for such a time as this. So that in those occasions where God uses you, you're encouraged. God is true. The gospel is real. And God is pleased to extend his kingdom. So we'll come back to Obadiah next time. But let's finish today by considering in this age of compromise the stubbornness of Ahab. He certainly illustrates the stubbornness of man in the face of the obvious evidence, in the face of God's chastisements. Remember a couple of things. First of all, please remember the prophecy he received. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now, you've got to read the whole part. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, Jehovah liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. The famine, if you are some dear soul, I out in Gilead somewhere, and there's been no rain for three and a half years, you may wonder what's happened here. Ahab was told exactly what was happening here. Furthermore, while he received the prophecy, he also recognized the problem. Verse 5, we are told again, chapter 18, we are told his words to Obadiah to go and find water, to find grass. He understood the situation is severe, and he was told exactly why that was going to come to pass. Yet, verse 5, and here we're seeing an argument from silence, there is no mention of God or sin. In fact, we see a man who's so carnal that his concern is for the animals and not for the people. Now, now here, the likely concern here is not for the animals for the animals' sake, but likely for military prowess. 
If the animals all die, your army loses all its power. And it's likely he's concerned regarding his own political empire and preserving that. But he's no thought of God and no thought of sin. And when you get to verse number 17, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? He's no personal acknowledgement of his own guilt. You see, unless God is pleased to sanctify chastisements, they will not profit. No matter how severe his judgments or how long they last, man will only get the point when God performs a work of grace within him. As we close, please turn to Revelation chapter 16. There's such a stark commentary on the heart of Ahab in Revelation chapter 16 in the section about the pouring out of the seven vials of the bowls of God's wrath. And Revelation 16 verse number 10 says this, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Sometimes we get the idea if people suffered enough, they would turn to Christ. I've heard people asking for prayers in that regard. Some loved one, oh, I hope they suffer so much they'll turn to Christ. If you believe for a second the souls will turn to Christ simply because they suffer a lot, you haven't read Revelation 16, verse 11. Untold suffering will not lead to repentance. Men by nature are all Ahabs. They will blame shift. They will not think of God in their suffering naturally. This world is in a constant state of flux and change. Has been since time began. The birth pains of Christ's coming began in the first century and they continue to this day. There are seasons of financial ruin and natural disaster and pandemics and all the rest. Name it what you want. There's all manner of change and trouble in every generation, in every society. And people will have all manner of theories. This was caused by that, and that was caused by this. You know, let's just say, I'm fearful here to grow this line. Let's just take for a second the thought of global warming. warming. You go, oh, that's not real. Let's just say it is real, okay? Let's just say for one moment it's real, whether you think it is or not. And I, please do not discuss that with me in the lobby this afternoon, okay? Just for the sake of argument, let's say it's real. And famine comes across the earth. I guarantee you, the news broadcast will blame you and me for our fossil fuel usage over the years. They will not think of the vials of God's wrath. They'll blame everybody else. And they will not think of God. Amos chapter 3 Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? 
You see the hardness of man's heart. There can be Elijah. There can be Obadiahs. There can be all manner of trouble and suffering. And yet man's heart is so hard that he will not believe the obvious evidence. So let's all despair. Of course not. I'm not given to despair. Because I believe in the God of heaven. Who has eternally purposed to save his people. So that people whose hearts are hard. Who deny the obvious can by God's power be instantly and suddenly changed. That's tonight's sermon. The power of God to change the heart of a hardened person like Ahab. I'm not suggesting Ahab's heart's changed. That's not the point. But man by nature is Ahab. But by grace they become a Paul. It is the power of God that brings about that change. So, as we live in these days, let's be people who are governed by the word of God. Who serve God wherever we're placed. And who pray for God to change the hearts of men. Same thing. Nothing new. Be faithful. Be prayerful. And Christ will be glorified. Let's bow together please in prayer. Eternal God and Father, we look to Thee. We thank You, Lord, for Your goodness and Your grace. We praise You, O God, that again we have Your Word that speaks to our souls. Thank You for the example of Elijah, particularly today. He hears the Word of God and does the Word of God. Despite the climate of the age, O Lord, we're living in days when there is so much pressure upon the child of God to be conformed to this world. Help us to stand upon truth, to fight every impulse to be like the world. Rather, to be those who love the word of God, live by the word of God, and share the word of God to all who are willing to hear. Give us grace, we pray. Help us today. May the Sabbath day be a blessing to our souls. Help us, O God, to honor thee this day, to glorify thee in all of our ways. Bring us back to the house of God tonight. And may indeed our hearts be encouraged as we contemplate your powerful working in the lives of sinners. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.